Take your Bibles tonight, I want to get right into the message. Isaiah chapter 50, if you'll turn there, we'll read Isaiah chapter 50. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 50. The Bible said, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions has your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh, because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that pluck off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together, who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, uh, they all shall wax old as a garment, the moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of His servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled, this shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. Father, bless now the reading of your word and Help us, Lord, to say only that which You'd have us to say. And we do thank You for the joy and honor of being here tonight. May You just meet with us through this service. We'll thank You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. By way of introduction of this chapter, here in Isaiah, as it is mentioned in other places, there is a a reference to God's servant. And of course, I believe speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much of this has to do with Him. And I'll just mention very quickly and In overviewing the verses we read, the first thing that we see uh, is the inquiry God makes in verse number 1. Where is the proof that I have abandoned my people? Hey, I want to tell you something. People could say, well, the Lord's forsaken me. No, He hasn't. If you're His child, He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I know He's talking about Israel here. I understand He's talking about uh, the uh, nation of Israel and the people of God in that generation But I'm telling you, the Lord said, who's going to bring charges against me? And and He asked this question, we see the iniquity. He said, it's not that I have abandoned you, but rather you've abandoned me. For your iniquities have you sold yourselves. And then notice the indication God said, I found no man qualified to redeem you. God said, listen, I found no man qualified to redeem you. By the way, there is no man, humanly speaking, that could redeem us. But God said, I want you to notice the next thing by way of introduction, we see the intercessor. In verses 4 through 5, God, uh, 4 through 9, God begins to talk about 
How that though I saw no man that could redeem you, God said, I just want you to know, as Jehovah God, I will redeem you. I'll take care of this. And thank God He did. And in the fullness of time, Jesus came forth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on an old rugged cross, shed His blood and paid our redemption and rose again triumphant over death, held in the grave. And we have to say, what a friend we have in Jesus. But as the intercessor, he would walk the path of speaking. He said, I have the tongue of the learned. He said, as he begins to talk here, uh, how that I should speak a word in season to him that is weary. Uh, let me tell you, at times we find ourselves wondering how to say the right thing. But it did ever dawn on you that God has never, ever been short of the right thing to say. He said, I'll speak words of wisdom. We find a path of speaking. He said, I have the tongue of the learned. It was said about Jesus. Never a man spake like this man. It was a path of submission in verse 5. He goes on to say, the Lord hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. In other words, he gave himself. He wasn't forced to go to the cross, but he willingly went. He laid down his life for our redemption. So we see it was a path of submission. The Bible said in Philippians 2, 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. The Bible said and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. The Bible said he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But let me say it was a path of suffering. Nobody ever suffered like Jesus suffered. So, preacher, if I could duplicate everything that happened at Calvary, if I could have the nails in my feet and, and could have been beaten across the back with a cat of nine tails, if I could have had the nails in my hand, if I could have had the crown of thorns and had the spitting and all that Jesus went through, uh, couldn't I suffer as much as He did? No. A thousand times no, because He took my sins and my sorrows and He made them His very own. He died for the sins of an entire world. He took our place. It was a path of suffering. It was a path of strength. Verse 7, he begins to talk about, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He begins to talk about how uh, that it was a path of, uh, of strength, that God would strengthen him. And listen, it's amazing. And let me just pause and say this. Jesus Christ was all man and all God. And yet as He came to this earth and took upon Himself the form of a man, and though He came close to dying there in the garden, He sweat as it were, great drops of blood. The Bible said that the angels came and ministered strength unto Him. The Lord said it was a path of strength. But not only that, it was a path of success. Even in His death, there was victory. Romans 8.32 said, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up, for us all, how shall He not with them also freely give us all things? Who shall I anything lay anything to the charge of, of God's elect? If it is God that justifieth, who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You talk about a successful path. Hey, listen, if you're saved tonight, you're a child of God. I have a friend of mine who's been in heaven for a number of years. Dr. Bob Sinset was a great Bible preacher and teacher. And, and uh, he wasn't a guy that ran around a lot. But man, I'm telling you, when he preached, he would just feed your soul. And I remember one time hearing him say that when a person gets saved, Brother Marshall, over 100 different things happened the moment you got saved. 
When he made that statement, I began to think about that, and then I began to listen to him, and he started saying uh, things like, you know, the moment you get saved, you pass from death unto life. The moment you get saved, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God take up, takes up His abode in you. The moment you get saved, you're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment you get saved, you get access to the throne of God. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. And boy, he began to list things off. And I think you'd agree with me. A whole lot happened when we got saved. I didn't know all of that. But I sure am enjoying getting acquainted with all that I have in Christ Jesus. So with this in mind, Israel was commanded in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 5, O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. As believers, we are commanded according to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, I think you would agree with me that if you've been saved by the grace of God, we have a Bible commandment to walk in the light. Maybe I better say that again. We have a Bible commandment to walk in the light. It is not God's desire. It is not God's design. It is not God's... Uh, will for us to get out of His will and to walk in darkness. Listen, there's been a great change since I've been born again. And I could preach tonight on why you shouldn't walk in darkness. And I'm speaking now about the darkness of sin. If you've been saved by the grace of God, I'm not preaching sinless perfection tonight, but I'm telling you if you've been saved by the grace of God, uh, there ought to be a desire in your heart to want to stay away from sin. And when you do fail the Lord, just to be so grieved in your heart because... You don't want to fail Him. But as I was reading this passage of Scripture, a thought began to formulate in my heart and mind, and I want to preach about it tonight on when believers walk in darkness, but not the darkness of sin. There's a different kind of darkness I want to talk to you about tonight. Now, if you're saved and you're not doing the will of God and you're out fooling with things you shouldn't fool with and you're out involved in things you shouldn't uh, be involved in, then you get right with God tonight and get out of the sinning business. As my friend Don Green says, you need to just you know try to uh, be right with God and walk with God as we preached about this morning. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But I want to talk to you tonight as believers about the uh, the fact that sometimes we as believers are going to walk in darkness but not the darkness of sin. Notice verse number 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord? Now, would you just agree with me that fearing the Lord is a good thing to do? That obeyeth the voice of His servant. Would you also agree that it is not only a good thing to fear the Lord, but it is a good thing to obey the Lord? And yet the Bible said, Who is it among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of His servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Number one, notice the reality. There will be dark times in your life and mine. 
Verse number 3 talks about here, I clothe the heavens with blackness, I make sackcloth their covering. Verse 10 says, He that obeys and he that feareth the Lord, yet the Bible said that walketh in darkness. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, We no longer walk in the darkness of sin and ignorance, but some believers may be called on to walk in the darkness of trouble and perplexity. I would remind you that sometimes some of God's choicest people walk through the valleys of darkness and difficulties and despair and even the death of loved ones, and it seems like from a human perspective, it's unfair. It seems like from our human reasoning that God has made a mistake. But I would remind you tonight, God has never made one mistake. The first song we sang tonight, I Trust the Potter's Hand, is one of three songs that we recorded that was written by my first cousin, Brother Tom McMurtry. Brother Tom pastored the Lighthouse Baptist Church in LaSalle, Illinois. Uh, the song I sang this morning about uh, this is God's house is another song that he wrote. Brother Tom McMurtry was my first cousin. He's seven months younger than I am and rubs that in as often as he can. Brother Tom's mother is my dad's, was my dad's oldest sister. They're both in heaven. Brother Tom McMurtry started his church out of our church six months after I came to Benton, Arkansas. It was our first church plant. Brother Marshall, we were so broken those days, about all we could do to support him was pray for him. Take some manpower up there. But God, let them start that work. Listen, I'm telling you, uh, in what used to be a tavern, and how he's blessed and blessed their church in more ways than I can tell you about. But a little over a year ago, Brother Tom had been having some difficulty for the last couple of years and, and uh, finally got a diagnosis. He has frontal lobe dementia. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it's a very difficult disease. I mentioned a while ago, he's still jogging, still gets out and runs five miles a day, and, uh, but a lot of his memory is, is gone, his difficulty. Brother Tom called me the other day. Man, he was so excited. He said, Brother Ken, he's not pastoring anymore. He had to step down. His son-in-law is now the pastor of the church. By the way, Brother Tom and I married sisters. I told this at the couple's retreat, not our own, but we married sisters. My wife and his wife are sisters and... Brother Tom called me several days ago and he said there's a lady that had attended our church quite often over the last 10 years. I've been trying to lead her to the Lord. And she kept saying to me, listen, I'm Catholic and if I get saved, I'll have to say everything I believed all my life was wrong. and I'll have to say that some of my family died without knowing the Lord and I just can't do that. And Tom said, hey, i got to tell you. He said, Paul and I went to see her and she just got saved. She said, I'm not going to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to get that settled. And Tom said, the exciting thing about it is in just a little less than two months, she's going to turn 101. Now, folks, I don't know the statistics on it, but I can tell you, somebody getting saved past 100, that's a pretty rare thing. Boy, it was exciting. And he called me and said, look, I may not be able to pastor anymore, but God can still use my life. It's a dark day when the doctor said, hey, this is a disease that's going to take your life. This is a disease that's going to forever change the course of your life. But yet, uh, God gave him that wonderful song, I trust the potter's hand. Listen, as long as I'm willing to follow Him, everything's going to be alright. Psalm 22.11 said, Be not far from Me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Psalm 10.1 said, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Job 5.7 said, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Listen, sickness or sorrow or suffering or sadness will come 
even to the most devout and the most sold out child of God. I remember Miss Graham and I got married in 1977. It was June and in October. We'd just come in from soul winning visitation on the Thursday night and my dad called and he said, Ken, Karen's dead. Karen was my sister just older than me. Just two years older than I was and killed in a car wreck, went out into eternity. And you talk about a heartbreak. Listen, every parent in here understands what I'm fixing to say. We want to go before our children do. And oh, the heartache of losing a child. And four years later, or a little less than, I saw my parents bury. I was the only boy for years. I had five sisters, which is cruel and unusual punishment. I had five sisters. Mom and dad adopted my brother. And in April of 1981, my brother was killed in an accident at home working on his car. It fell on him. He went out in eternity. And boy, what a what heartache. I could tell you about the revival that broke out in our community and in our church and affecting other churches in 1981 as a result of my brother's death. But I'm saying tonight, God didn't take him because he wasn't living for God. As a matter of fact, he was. God didn't take him because my parents weren't living for God. They were. Sometimes, good godly people go through sorrow. Brother Coley, I remember not that long ago, when your sweet sister who had the flu and they said, she'll be alright in a few days, got the word that she had died. And your parents had to come and bury their daughter. And I'm telling you folks, if you've walked through that, you know what I'm talking about. It's a hurt. It's a heartache. Sickness, sorrow, suffering, sadness are going to come to the most devout. But notice not only the reality, number two, notice the response. You know, I cannot choose the circumstances that may come upon me, but I can choose my response. So what do you mean, Brother Graham? Well, I'm going to give you three possible scenarios of responses that we can have when we walk in darkness. And I'm not talking about the darkness of sin. I'm talking about the darkness of sorrow and sadness and sickness. We can, first of all, choose to get mad at the Lord. Lord, I'm serving You. Why would You let this happen to me? I'm Your child. I've been faithful. Why would You allow me to go through this adversity? You can get mad at the Lord. And I don't recommend that. Romans 9.20 said, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? God, how could you do this to me? Hey, listen, God makes no mistakes. You can get mad at the Lord. Let me say, you can manufacture your own light. Look what verse 11 said. I find it interesting. He said, Behold all ye that kindle a fire that compass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled, uh, this shall ye have of, uh, of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. God said, you want to try to fix this by yourself? Go ahead. Make up your own light. You know, I've met people that have gone through sorrow, and, and, and instead of you know, turning to the Lord, you know, they may not uh, get mad at the Lord in the sense of showing a madness, but they'll try to put together uh, their own light, their own way to deal with it. They try to put it together. The Bible said in Proverbs 3, 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Psalm 108, verse 12 said, Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Listen, when you're in sorrow, sadness, sickness, trials, darkness, it is not a time to you, for you to try to make up your own life. 
well, you know, and by the way, I'm not against reading good books to help you. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the book that's going to help you the most is this one right here. And I've read some good books that have helped me along the way. I mean some good books. When my dad had Alzheimer's, Brother Marshall, I was determined by the grace of God, I was going to study everything I could and know everything I could about dementia. I've read volumes. I've sat through different seminars. I've sat and listened to people talk. First time I ever attended one, a doctor got up and talked. He knew everything clinical about Alzheimer's, but he had never dealt with it personally. And I don't mean to be unkind. I appreciate the clinical information, but he was zero help to me. And then a lady got up and said, my mother has Alzheimer's. And I'm a caregiver. And let me share a few things with you. And that lady gave me more help in five minutes than that doctor had in 20 minutes. I'm not criticizing the doctor. He knew what Alzheimer's was, but he had never dealt with it. Not personally, not in his own family. Man, she gave me some things. I was able to go home. My, my mother was always concerned. After Dad got Alzheimer's, sometimes his facts would get mixed up. Makes me nervous because sometimes mine get mixed up. I don't have Alzheimer's, but I do have sometimes. Where'd them keys go? But anyway, so but my mother was so concerned that my dad would say something incorrectly in front of my children or maybe get a fact backwards and she was always trying to correct him because she didn't want the children to ever hear him tell a lie. And I came home and said, Mom, listen, I heard something great today. You need to learn how to separate the disease from the person. My children are old enough to understand and those that are will understand that Grandpa's sick. And we learned some other things. I know this is practical. I'll just throw it out real quick. Like, you know, sometimes when somebody has Alzheimer's, don't keep rearranging the furniture. And I'm serious about that. Change is very confusing for a person that has Alzheimer's. My dad was in one particular facility for a while and his weight began to drop off. My dad was not as big as me. He was taller than me, never as heavy as me. My dad used to say to me, son, you need to watch your weight. And then we'd go to somebody's house to eat and he'd say, They'd say, would you like a piece of pie? No, no, thank you. That's it. Eat a piece of pie. You want to hurt their feelings? They cooked this stuff, made it for us. I'm like, what do, you know, make up your mind. Eat the pie, don't eat the pie. Anyway. <laughs> my dad was much taller than me. And Brother Marshall, I saw my dad's weight drop from 210 to 165. Now, that's not bad, but if you're nearly 6'4", that's you know, dropping quite a bit. And I said to them, what's going on? You know, and I'd come in and, you know, they said, well, he's just not eating. He doesn't have an appetite. And I found out. When they'd lay a tray in front of him, he wouldn't eat because he didn't know where to start. And so I started giving him one item at a time and he'd eat like he hadn't eaten in three weeks. He was just confused about where to start. I'm just saying, I picked up some things that helped me in a practical way and learned some things to help my mother. And one thing mom and I used to say is you got to laugh sometimes or you'll cry all the time. But I learned some things as I walked through that with my dad. And, and God's allowed us to minister really to a lot of people that's gone through a dimension. And I'm just simply saying, as Brother Tom wrote that song, I couldn't help but think what a wonderful truth that even though I may not understand, I'm going to trust the potter's hand. I'm not going to get mad at God. And I'm not going to try to manufacture my own light. You say, well, preacher, what should I do? Well, you can just maintain a walk with God in the darkness. I love this quote, said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw your ticket away and jump off. You just sit still and trust the engineer. 
And folks, when I'm going through valleys of darkness and hardship and, and anxiety or trials or tests or, or, or sickness or the death of a loved one or whatever the case might be, it is no time to jump ship and it is no time to quit church and it is no time to throw in the towel and it is no time to give up on God and it is no time to quit walking with the Lord and it is no time to get bitter and get backslidden and get out of the will of God, but you keep on keeping on and you'll find that God is Psalm 62, 8, trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge. I love that. Pour out your heart before Him. Proverbs 3, we know it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. I love Isaiah 26, 3. I will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because... He trusteth in thee. Listen, trust is the key to walking through the dark times. That is the response. But notice thirdly, the reminder. It's an interesting statement that's made here in verse number 10. The Bible says this, Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of His servant, that walketh in darkness and have no light? He's talking about those who are faithful to God. He's not talking about people who are backslidden and out of the will of God. We already know they're obedient. We already know they fear the Lord. And yet they're going through this great trial of affliction. Listen to this statement. Let him trust in the name of the Lord. And stay upon his God. Now by the way, he could have just said let him trust in the Lord. I mean there's many verses in the Bible that say trust in the Lord. That's exactly right. But in this particular place, he said, trust in the name of the Lord. I wonder why he said it that way. Well, because in that name, there is power. He said why He dried up the seas and He caused the fish to stink and He made rivers in the wilderness and He led His people across the sea and made it dry and led them across the Jordan River when it was flooded and He caused the enemies to flee. And if He could take care of them, He can take care of you. So listen, there's power in the name of Jesus. But not only in that name is there power, let me say in that name is protection. Just ask Joseph. When he was thrown into the pit of betrayal, the darkness of prison for no wrongdoing. Uh, but it brought him to the palace to be used by God to be the great deliverer of his family, of his people, and to be used of God in such a great way. And matter of fact, I call it the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament, Genesis 50.20, after his dad died, his brethren said, now that dad's gone, Joseph was nice to us just because dad was alive. Now that dad's dead, he's going to retaliate. He's going to get even. He's going to let us have what's coming to us. He said in Genesis 50.20, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And he said, am I in the place of God? Would I try to retaliate when I can see the hand of God working tremendously? When my brother was killed, my brother was adopted. The building was packed. There were people outside the building, down the hallways. It was absolutely filled with young people as well as adults. My brother played basketball in our Christian school and many of the young people from the other schools came and and the crowd that was there that day, among the crowd was his biological father. He had had no relationship with him, but he came to the service. He asked my dad if he could attend. 
And dad said, you're more than welcome to attend, but you need to understand I'm burying my son today. And if I could tell you all that that boy had suffered in his early days. But I watched his biological father bend his knee and invite Jesus Christ to come into his heart. I watched young people get saved, surrender to preach. I have preached revivals in churches for men who pastor now that were teenagers that surrendered their life to God at my brother's funeral. Listen, I, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I'm glad that it happened. I'm not, but I'm saying God took a very heartbreaking circumstance and even, even out of that burst some great blessing. I trust God's hand. There's protection. The three Hebrew children trusted in the name of the Lord, and He brought them out of the fiery furnace. Daniel was thrown into the den of lions, and yet God brought him out safe on the other side. There is protection in that name. Let me say, in that name is provision. I love the name of our God. Well, I asked the disciples, as we heard this morning, when they fed 5,000 men besides women and children, with just five loaves and two fishes. I don't know what you call it. I call that provision. By the way, if you read the Scripture, it said they were all filled. They were all filled. They didn't just get a nibble. They didn't just get a sample. They were all filled because in His name is provision. In that name, there's promise. Galatians 3.22 said, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin and the, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. What is the promise that we have when we get saved? Well, I would say, first of all, we have eternal life. When my dad got Alzheimer's, I had many, many, many friends, Brother Marshall, that were a great encouragement to me. But you know, the devil knows how to slip in those that aren't an encouragement. I got a letter from somebody one day and they said, what a shame. That a man who had given his mind to God all these years would now yield his mind to the devil. That's not very encouraging. Somebody else wrote me a letter and said, you know, you need to stop praying God's will to be done and demand God heal your father. I don't read that in the Bible. I can tell you that numerous people said to me, well, it isn't right, it isn't fair. Brother Graham was such a faithful, godly man. Why would he die like that? And my answer is this, it's appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. Look, I don't know how I'm going to die, but short of the rapture, I'm going to die. It may be through disease. It may be through an accident. What I am saying is, however it might be, it's not the death itself that's the issue. It's the preparation for that time. Hey, I know where my dad's at. I know where my mother's at. I know where my brother's at. I know where my sister's at. Hey, there's a joy in knowing that in His name there is such sweet assurance. We have the promise of eternal life. And in the meantime, we have that promise of eternal life that's secure. You can read it in John 10. But even the promise of an abundant life, we can even enjoy it. We can even be blessed. Even in the Saddest times. I remember when I was a boy, Dad took me to see a lady in the church. She was nearing the shore towards the end of her life. Dad said, son, we'll go by and see her. and Try to be an encouragement. won't be long. She'll be passing. Went by to see her and I was just a young boy. Lincoln, Illinois. We stepped into her home. And she is not too many days later went out into eternity. We walked in hoping to bring a little cheer. My dad used to take me places. And it didn't matter. Hospital bank, anywhere we'd go. He thought everybody needed to hear a song. So 
he'd have me sing. But anyway, and uh, I remember one time I was at the hospital, he said, hey, what is your favorite hymn? He'd always ask people that. It didn't matter whether I knew it or not. My son will sing it for you. I remember the first time I ever sang Out of the Ivory Palaces. That's the only line I knew. Out of the Ivory Palaces, into the world of woe. I said, Dad, that's all I know. He said, well, you can make up the rest from there. It'll be all right. It'll be a blessing to him. You'll have the tune down. That'll help. You know, so I hope it was scriptural. But anyway, we went into her home, and Dad said, no, she might want to hear a song. Let's cheer her up. We walked in the door, and she said, oh, Brother Graham. It's not going to be too long. I'm going to be with Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to know that you're on your way to heaven? And I'm just rejoicing how good God has been. And how is your day going? How are you going to cheer somebody that's already excited about getting to see Jesus in a few days? Listen, I'm just saying, folks, we're on the winning side. And that name is presence. Hebrews 13.5 said, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For He has said, listen to this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now hear me tonight. There have been times in my life, Brother Marshall and I'm sure in yours, when for a period of time I've had to leave my wife. She hasn't been able to make every mission trip that I've made. But I don't forsake her. Before I leave, I make sure that all the needs are taken care of and all the provisions are there and, you know, a little shopping money, you understand, you know, make sure everything's taken care of. I don't forsake her. I may leave for a few days or a couple weeks, but I guarantee you, I'm not going to forsake her. And you know, there are some people that have not left their mate, but they've forsaken them. They still live in the same house, but they don't speak to each other unless they absolutely have to. They're just together for the kids' sake and we're going to stick this out and we really can't stand each other. I'm going to tell you something, that's a terrible way to live. Some have not left, but they've forsaken. Some have left, but not forsaken. And some have left and forsaken. But you know what I love about Jesus? He said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I can't get on a plane and go anywhere that He's not going with me. I can't go somewhere to preach or somewhere to uh, to sing or somewhere to serve the Lord. I can't go anywhere, listen, that He isn't ever with me. What a presence we have to know that He will never leave us nor forsake us even when we're in the darkness. I told the other night about having some terrible things happen when I was a little boy and, you know, boogeymen looking in the window and real ones. And I remember one time my dad called me and said, hey, bud, there's, there's somebody in the church. Come over to the back door and meet me there. We lived right by the church. I don't know what he thought I was going to do. But anyway, as he came out of his office at the same time, that guy was coming in and they collided with each other. They both hit so hard they fell down and then jumped up and started chasing him. He ran through the auditorium and I come running in. And Dad went one way chasing him and he said, go the other way. So I went out the back way and then, man, here we're chasing the guy. Same guy that had that 19132. And we're chasing him, boy, just trying to, I don't know what we was going to do with him when we got him, but we were chasing him. And uh, that was a scary night. But you know, some of those nights when scary things would happen, it'd be dark in the room. I'd sense my dad's presence. I'd say, Dad, are you there? Yeah, buddy, I'm here. It's going to be all right. He's, he's not coming around tonight. I'll make sure of that. I'll take care of you. You know, if I knew dad was there, it didn't matter how dark it was. My dad could handle anything. You know, to a little boy, 
and you're dead. He's got it covered. And I'll tell you, I'm glad when times are so dark, so difficult, so despairing, that you can cry out and say, Father, I can't see you, but are you there? And you can feel Him wrap those arms around you and say, hey, my child, it's okay. I'm right here. He said, stay upon God. I love the song, Like a River Glorious. I close with this. Like a River Glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding, as He promised, perfect peace and rest. Hidden in the hollow of His blessed hand. Never foe can follow, never traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care. Not a blast of hurry. Touch the Spirit there. Every joy or trial falleth from above. Traced upon our dial by the Son of love. We may trust Him fully. All for us to do. Those who trust Him wholly, find Him wholly true. Stay upon Jehovah. Hey folks, when you get in the dark times and you're a Christian, I know it's Sunday night, I'm preaching to the faithful folks, but I want you to understand when the dark times come, it's no time to quit on God. It's no time to get mad at God or manufacture your own light. Just get in the book and just keep on serving the Master. And I'm telling you, He'll bring you through the darkness. And you're going to see things that will help you for the rest of your life. Just stay upon Jehovah. Father, we love You. I pray that Your Holy Spirit might take the message tonight and minister to hearts. There may be some believers right now that are going through dark times. And Lord, many are not, but the day will come when darkness will surround them. And they'll wonder if You've forgotten and forsaken them. But Oh God, as we heard it sung so beautifully tonight, great is Thy faithfulness. Lord, we can trust You. Lord, as Brother Tom wrote, I trust the potter's hand. God, would You help us to be stayed upon Jehovah. In Jesus' name we pray. We're standing together. The pastor's coming. I don't know the need of your heart tonight, but the altar's open. I invite you to come. Let's be mindful of what God would have us to do. If you're not saved tonight, I want to encourage you to give your heart to Christ. If you are saved, listen, you don't have a better friend in the world than Jesus Christ. Just keep on trusting in Him. Would you come right now? The altar's open. Many have already come. You need to come. You know you need to come. Why don't you make your way down here? You have a God that loves you. He's here to take care of you. And He can do a better job than anybody else can. That's for certain. Just let Him have His way. Whatever it might be. Whether anybody around you understands what's going on, he understands what's going on. Would you come? Plenty of time. Plenty of room. He's waiting here for you. Let him have his way. Brother Phil's going to sing. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. 
If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let Him have His way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.